Welcome to Oncology Onward, Conversations with Innovators and Changemakers in Cancer Care, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Maggie Shaw, Senior Editor with AJMC. On this final Oncology Onward episode of 2023, co-hosts Dr. Emilana Vicky of NYU Langone Perlmutter Cancer Center and Dr. Stephen Slyker of Tennessee Oncology talk with Penn Medicine's Dr. Justin Buckelman, Director of the Penn Center for Cancer Care Innovation. Their conversation encapsulates much of what has been discussed in the oncology space in the past year from the unique perspective of academic medicine. The importance of collaboration between academic medical centers and community oncology practices and testing innovative cancer care delivery in academic and community settings to have the greatest impact on patients. Welcome to our next episode of Oncology Onward with my good friend, Emilina Vicky and myself. And today we have the honor of getting to sit down and speak virtually with Dr. Justin Beckelman, um, who's become a friend, mentor, and colleague of mine um, from his spot in Pennsylvania as I sit here in Nashville. Briefly about Justin, then I'll pass it over to him and Emmeline. Um, I think Dr. Beckelman's created one of the most truly innovative um, research care delivery, delivery kind of groups within healthcare, especially within oncology. Um, at Penn, he is the he leads the Penn Center for Cancer, for the Penn Center for Cancer Care Innovation, where they do work in research across payers, um, really changing how people think about cancer care. And what I think is so unique about Justin is he does great work in academics, but also bridge that gap to community oncology as well. Um, and we had a great kind of collaborative research uh, project around palliative care between Tennessee Oncology and Penn. Um, so a, a, a true unique person. Uh, so I can't wait for everybody to hear from him. So Justin, welcome to our podcast today. Great to be with you, Stephen and Emily. Um, Justin, I'm going to kick us off with a question just to kind of open up kind of the conversation. You've had a, career, a unique career path. You spent time at CMMI as an advisor, your radiation oncology by training, been at some of the talk at top academic centers, and then have now created this kind of cancer care innovation hub within Penn. Walk us through a little bit of your career just to level set for the audience and how you kind of went into this kind of unique innovation space. Yeah, thanks for the question. Even, even before medicine, uh, in my early career, uh, I was interested in having even a more extensive uh, impact. And, you know, out of college, I had done my pre-med work, but I had majored in international affairs and finance and took a position at the Defense Department as an aide to the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy in that role. I had uh, input into humanitarian intervention uh, in the late 1990s. I then took a role in a management consulting firm, a spinoff of Bain McKinsey based in London, uh, advising you know, large corporations on, uh, on change and their future directions. Uh, and then I had a role in a startup. Uh, this was uh, early days around genomics, and the startup concept was in informatics and um, trying to basically automate how to query uh, early genomic sequences. Uh, it sort of fell apart, but it gave me a sense of, you know, the possibilities for the future. I went into medicine because I actually wanted to be a doctor, so I wanted to change from this sort of ex 
extensive orientation into a more intensive orientation. Uh, and I've uh, enjoyed the ride ever since. I'm now an oncologist, as, uh, as you uh, sort of described in your very gracious inter introduction. I'm a radiation oncologist. I lead the Innovation Center at the Abramson Cancer, uh, at the Abramson Cancer Center at Penn Medicine. Uh, and uh, all of those early experiences sort of inform what I do today. All right, I've got a juicy first question. Are you ready yeah. for it? All right. I'm ready. Your innovation center is amazing. I mean, it really is. People like Stephen and I in fellowship, seeing the center, wish we were at Penn just to be in your center. Because there, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else. There truly isn't anything else like it. So congrats to you. And the whole point of, of creating it, I'm sure for you, is it's all about impact. And so my first juicy question is, <laughs> what is the one, if you could choose one project, one intervention from your innovation hub that either you or a partner uh, implemented that you think has the, had the most impact on patients, what is it? And just tell us about it. We've got, so there, there's a few. So I'll, I'll tell you just a specific, one. I'll tell you just a specific story, but I want to, I want to bring out, bring out the lens a little bit to say that what creates change are not individual projects, but the people who lead them. So one of our core values is creating an ecosystem of innovation around the change agents, the kinds of folks that you all try to interview uh, in order to create the next care delivery change that impacts on people. So I might, I'll, I'll give you a sense of one of our programs during COVID that's gotten a lot of uh, press about it, uh, and that's chemo, chemotherapy at home. Um, but it's less, it's less about any individual project. It's more about creating the pipeline of change agents, whether within cancer or across the healthcare ecosystem, whether it's in academia, community practice, uh, or industry, um, to actually get to that next level. You know, the situation during COVID was, uh, was that patients with cancer were if we date back now a few years, we're seen as especially uh, at risk to come into the hospital. We had great hospital density at that time, and we were thinking about how do we continue therapy during, for patients with cancer during that period. Uh, so we had the opportunity to think about, um, well, where else could we deliver chemotherapy safely? Uh, so we took the action to create sort of like a, a change unit, an innovation team whose focus was to totally change how we deliver chemotherapy and targeted agents today. Uh, first in the United States, even though it had been done internationally in small pilots. That program has now grown. We at Penn Medicine treat nearly 3,000 patients a year uh, with active chemo at home. Uh, it's uh, not a substitution, but a complement to the incredible chemotherapy and targeted agent delivery that happens in our clinics uh, and in our infusion suites. Uh, what was incredible about that program uh, was that it was so obviously patient-centric. It ran into a lot of controversy around the buy and bill system, around whether we could actually scale that nationally, what are the particular financial incentives that for an integrated care delivery system like Penn Medicine versus community practice. But now when we talk about it, I think there's not a single person who doesn't agree that if the financial incentives can be figured out, and if the payment models can be figured out to keep everybody whole, it makes so much sense to deliver, pay, to deliver care where patients are. And that's not necessarily in physician offices or hospital outpatients or in the hospital. It's at home. And that model now has grown, whether it's administration of chemo 
telehealth, digital health, that model is just one of many uh, that I think is having dramatic impacts on patients today. People throw out COVID's changed things a lot, but this is a great concrete example about COVID. It was a kind of switch to allow things like this, um, our telemedicine, et cetera. That's I didn't know y'all's volume was that high. That's pretty amazing, Justin. Yeah, any any disruptive change to the healthcare ecosystem is going to have dramatic impacts, often negative on patients, but also often positive. So COVID was a forcing mechanism, everyone, as everyone recognizes now, a forcing me- mechanism for these dramatic changes in care delivery. The question now is, as payment policies restrict, right, and become more constrictive around uh, uh, care delivery innovation, um, how do we maintain the kind of momentum that started in the pandemic that we hope to be able to continue uh, with payment policies that are coming across as somewhat short-sighted now. It's really tough to deny how much payment models incentivize and really limit our ability to innovate in cancer care. I mean, you really can't deny it these days. Hospital at home makes perfect sense. The payments around hospital at home are really complicated and are adverse to health systems and oncologists. So, I mean, I, I think it's so wonderful that in spite of that, there are people who have been innovating and who are showing us this is the way, because that will then facilitate a future where the payment policies align and everyone can do it because it's it's best for patients. It Absolutely. is the best way to treat patients. Justin, on the, are you, I have a payment question unless you're ready for, unless it's on the tip of your tongue, Emmeline. No, go. So Justin, you do a lot of work with large payers. Again, you spend some time at CMMI, but I know you guys do a lot. Your group kind of consulting with systems and payers. Do you get a sense that what's the payer appetite right now to think differently? Like hospital at home, like here, like Tennessee just had it back. I don't know if it was national or just Tennessee, but like Edna Commercial just stopped reimbursement for like audio only. And we have a lot of patients who don't have broadband to have video consults. But from your experience, do you see like there's a, culture now across payers to start to think differently, like how to reimburse differently to drive change besides just like value-based, you know, pay for performance stuff. But do you see an appetite to think differently about things? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think that payers are specifically focused on oncology value-based care right now. Um, I think they've seen enough proof uh, of value-based care models in the primary care settings. uh, And they're moving into specialty markets like kidney, uh, like oncology, they see oncology uh, as an area where, you know, the spend is growing at a clip that is only matched by sort of the growth in electronic vehicles. I mean, the the opportunities in cancer care delivery and uh, transformation are huge. I think that um, payers also uh, have to think through their financial constraints, uh, where they can themselves um, create change, where they have to partner with third parties, where they have to partner with uh, providers, um, how to think about uh, what risk bearing means in oncology versus other spaces, why it's different, how it's similar, uh, what models we can draw from. I think the appetite is there, Stephen. I think there are a number of both uh, large community practices, uh, large academic or integrated health systems, and even, again, third parties that are coming into the market because they see the opportunities Who's going to actually demonstrate impact for patients? Well, we're not sure yet, uh, but that's why it's such an active place right now, and I think it will be for the next several years. Justin, where in your trajectory did you begin to engage with 
community oncologists. I mean, we all know community oncologists, over 50% of cancer care is delivered in the community. Stephen is the CMO of a very large community oncology group, an incredibly innovative group. We know that community oncology is incredibly innovative and it's a great way to provide access and everything. But when, at what point in your career, because I don't think everyone knows that, at what point did you realize that pairing, partnering with community oncologists was a huge opportunity to make a tremendous impact? Well, it, it comes from the idea of, of how to both have the intensive impact as physicians on our patients. We care for patients. All of us are active clinicians but also taking the more population health focus, this extensive impact and me asking myself, how can we do that? I think the incentives within the health system are that oftentimes integrated health systems, large academic providers are, are, are in competition with community practices in the area. But if you look at Penn Medicine as a uh, exemplar institution, we have academic uh, components in Philadelphia, and then we have more community practice phenotypes uh, more extensively in the communities. That sort of realization that care, patients demand care closer to home led us a decade ago to start thinking about what does it look like to deliver community care as an academic medical center. As part of those insights in oncology, we have to recognize that partnering with leading oncology practices that are in the community is crucial to having extensive impact on patients across the United States. So working with uh, you know, folks like Tennessee Oncology, where Penn has a tremendous academic relationship around uh, fielding really innovative science-based programs in the community uh, with the community leaders like uh, Stephen and his colleagues, it's been crucial to thinking about how to build impact. If we can only show that a certain innovation works at Penn Medicine or an academic practice, it's very limited. It's useful, but it's very limited. If we want to demonstrate as part of our mandate to generalize knowledge across the country, we have to be able to uh, extend programs into the community, learn from the community, test things that are working in the community and academic environments, create like a bi-directional approach that allows for expertise from both systems to create the best possible opportunities for patients with cancer. I gotta just piggyback, Justin's been amazing because we have the privilege of getting to work together. Privilege is all mine, Justin. And it's so cool to see here, but like, cause everybody thinks differently to hear how like Justin and his team think about how to truly like test something, study it, and then recognize the value of it working in a large academic center, as well as a rural clinic in Tennessee. And if you can get both to work, talk about impact, what you can do to the rest of the country. So. Um, I think this is just the beginning of like true collaborations like this. Um, um, I, I hope we see more because it's 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 very fun and we learn from each other, I think, um, all the time and how we approach problems. So very cool. Justin, what you mentioned something earlier to Emmeline's first question about building kind of the pipeline of change. Um, and then also talking about how there's this whole new like almost inflection point in oncology around care delivery, where people are starting to see value-based care work, especially in the advanced primary care space. You have these huge risk-bearing entities blowing up. Um, and then there's this appetite for change. How do you think about mentorship? Because again, I know several of your mentees like Ravi, Chris Mance, and others who all just think differently. And it's pretty amazing. And again, Emmeline and I think both when we were fellows, it was hard to find a lot of good role models. We definitely had great role models at MSK, but there was there was not like a PC3I that we could kind of really learn from. What do you tell now kind of, young faculty or fellows, or I think I even introduced the med student to you recently, who want to do care delivery, and there's so many opportunities now. How do you think about mentorship and kind of 
building that pipeline um, behind you because you've done such a great job with the center. And I think a lot of our audience would be interested in that. Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, mentorship is so important. Building the pipeline is so important. There are a few things that are in my head that I want to sort of share with you about this. So, so one is that the pipeline needs can't, can't just be doctors. So the pipeline has to include nurse leaders, physician leaders, social worker leaders, you know, across the spectrum, because we know that any individual's contribution is greatly outweighed by a team-based approach to how we deliver care. So when we think about mentorship and at PC3I, we think about it across many disciplines and we think about building a pipeline across many disciplines. What's the key aspect that links all of them? All of them have a clinician sort of focus, right? Whether it's a social worker focus, a nurse focus, a physician focus. So they all are on the front line, but they've taken this role of saying, you know what? I'm not just satisfied taking care of the patients directly in front of me, though that's very meaningful and satisfying, of course. I wanna do something bigger. I wanna create change for populations. And we do so creating these teams. That's the first thing. The second thing is when we think about mentorship, we have to create pipelines that focus on um, creating opportunities for people who have traditionally been underrepresented in scientific, academic, uh, or operational leadership. That's so important and that takes a ton of effort. That means reaching down into uh, undergraduate, medical school or PhD or uh, social scientist education, all the way up through postdocs, all the way into folks in fellowship and residency and so on. Creating those pipelines are so important. It's hard, but it's necessary to create the teams of people who in the future are gonna be the change agents. And the last thing is making sure that the mentors reflect the types of, not just the patients we care for, but the types of disciplines that we're looking to create you know, pipelines for. So it also means moving out from our comfort zone, not just docs, but moving out from our comfort zone into other specialties, people from diverse backgrounds, you name it, to create this sort of, again, ecosystem of change agents to get things done. Why wasn't he our mentor? <laughs> I know. I'm, well, I found him now. He is I, my, he's well, I, my I found a I found a, a Beckelman equivalent also. Orin Callen is my mentor here, also a radiation oncologist, also an innovator, change maker. So I'm lucky to have an, uh, a Justin Beckelman embedded in oh, my system yeah. now, thankfully. But man, just the way you you spoke about that was just it, it just meant so much to people like Steve and I who can still remember what it felt like being brought up and looking for someone like you. You mentioned something that I've not heard an oncologist ever mention, which is looking into other specialties. This is something that's critical, but that I don't really think we see often. So is this, do you have a, any programmatic approach to like scanning the marketplace to see like what are changes, what are innovations in these other fields that may be something that we can adapt? Absolutely, you know, that, that programmatic approach comes from the movie Pitch Perfect. Where the concept yes. of a mashup is. Oh, that's yes. what love. Now, now the Nelly mashup at the end is amazing. Yes. The mashup is crucial. I used to think about it more sort of in these high flute and scientific terms of interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary. But the greatest impact comes in the middle of disciplines, not within the discipline, but it comes in the middle across disciplines. That's fundamentally a mashup. I love it. That mashup concept goes to the types of projects we do, goes to the people we want to put together to create change. We also have to take a position of humbleness. When we, when I think about 
you know, if we have an incredible program, say chemotherapy at home or introducing AI into the clinic, who actually is doing the work? Well, of course, the physicians are doing some of the work, but sometimes it's the nurse leaders who are taking an idea or creating idea and then testing it and scaling it. If that key insight from years ago gave us a sense that actually all these leaders, regardless of their clinical specialty, need to be at the table to create the kinds of programs, not only that are successful early, that kind of work, but are, are designed for scale. If you create a program that doesn't have, for example, nurse leadership input into it from day one, physicians might think it's the best thing since sliced bread. They're going to forget something that ultimately is perhaps the key to it actually scaling. Like no one wants to be known for being good at pilots. Yeah. Right. That's like the worst. Right. Oh, we know that shop. Yeah, they've done 50 pilots. Well, what actually have you done? How has it scaled to get things to scale? You have to design for scale from day one. That means bringing in all the people and all the different disciplines so that you have that input for scale. That's amazing because that sounds so simple, but it's so important. And I know Emily, we're seeing it with our jobs now. It's 100 percent. If it doesn't. If you don't know who's doing what and it doesn't, how do you get like, you know, for example, something in our clinics, you know, if it, if the doctor has to do it, it's not going to get done. And how do you get every piece of the clinic to work together to know what's going to work and drive engagement and then scale around it? That's cool. There's an element of humility in what you've just shared, though, Justin. Right. So to know that the best person to lead this initiative is not us it's not a position it's a it's a nurse a nurse has to lead this initiative for it to be scalable and successful it's it's critical or else you're right these interventions cannot scale without nursing leadership or even you know it could be someone that's not a nurse but you know it's it's we've seen it over and over absolutely justin you mentioned ai briefly are you guys looking at anything with ai right now that you're testing Absolutely. We have a big program. This Dr. Ravi Parikh actually leads okay. the program in uh, artificial and augmented intelligence uh, here at uh, the Cancer Center and in, in the Innovation Center. Uh, we have a particular orientation to this, and it's around the idea of human machine collaboration. Everybody is thinking, oh, you just throw the AI into the clinic and, every, you know, everything's going to be great. Or or the pessimist will say, oh, everything's going to, like, you know, fall apart. Um our orientation is, well, we have to think about where AI is suitable, how it actually impacts on physician or nursing thinking or decision-making, and how together humans and machines or basically clinicians and AI can work together to create the changes that we're looking to create. I mean, the use cases are endless, but uh, you know, a, a really interesting use case, for example, for large language models is just handling the sort of onslaught of portal communications that we get from patients. Uh, that is a huge burden for clinicians. Patients are dissatisfied because their response time to get information from the portals is, you know, sort of crappy. And then clinicians, uh, their experience is poor because they're constantly dealing with a million things, some of which should be done by scheduling or someone by a care coordinator, very few of which actually requires sort of nursing or medical level decision making. So that, that's a great use case to say, okay, Let's create and test an AI model that actually can respond to some, triage others, incorporate clinicians with the outcomes. You know, we call it outcomes in research. In business, they might call it KPIs, key performance right indicators or metrics. But the outcomes being 
better patient experience, better clinician experience, less clinician burnout, and better outcomes for patients, better clinical outcomes for patients. So that's, uh, uh, gives you a sense and like an anecdote around how we're thinking about AI in, in healthcare today. Because AI is going to be an example probably where everybody, there's going to be the kitchen sink thrown at people and there's probably going to be tons of pilots and figuring out the one that works frictionlessly, causes these like beneficial totally. APIs and is scalable. Watching that process is going to be really interesting over the next few years. I want to know what you guys think. So I've been trying to think through this and my way of trying to think through to, through this is, is there any case in any industry where I've been exposed to AI and it's actually been a pleasant experience, you know, <laughs> reduce that. I have not been able to find one guys. So I hope you have one and that we can sort of leverage Searching on, that Google. Searching on Google. What's up? Searching on Google. No, I mean, I'm talking about in response, well, that's actually a legitimate use case. Actually, Stephen, we have one. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I know that I'm curious to see because we, we're doing a lot of testing around like prior authorizations, which is there's some really cool companies, but how it works into the clinic workflow, the stuff that you're mentioning testing, Justin, um, that's going to be cool to see how to do it in a way that actually, and there's got to be a way that, that does make everything more efficient, reduces burnout, improves patient care, et cetera. Justin, as a, as a final question, unless in line you have one, what, what would you tell someone now? And again, to be consistent with your messaging, whether it's a social worker, physician, nurse, et cetera, who's finished thinking about their next 10 to 20 year career. And again, when Emline and I, I think we're finishing training, it's either you go into hardcore research or you go into full-time clinical practice. But what, now that you know all these, and, and we didn't get to mention all these startups happening, this, this changing healthcare landscape, what would you tell someone finishing, ready to look at their 10, 20 year career who wants to do innovation? What would your kind of advice to someone be right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first, like own your career. People come out of fellowship and they're often, or they're in fellowship and they're, all, they're, they're reacting to their career as a trainee, right? And they're trying to sort of please the people who they need recommendations from or whatever. So the number one thing is own your career. What that means is if you're passionate about you know, community practice leadership, and you're coming from an academic medical center, well, gosh darn it, go do that because we need incredible community practice leaders. Don't be uh, saddled with sort of the, the shawl of, of uh, academic, um, uh, uh, academic exceptionalism. On the other hand, if you're really passionate about going into academia uh, and you're really interested in creating research programs around care delivery, there's a pathway for that. And own that and do it and find those mentors and find those institutions who are going to support you. Uh, that's number one. The, the number two is whatever you do, be passionate about it, right? Think about it as, you know, what can I do, whether I'm in academia or community-based practice, what, kind of, what can I do as a change agent that I'm really excited about? Because you know what? It's really hard. Whether you're in academia or community practice, it's really hard. So you're going to need that resilience, that grit to get through years of stumbles and trips and so on. In addition to managing an incredible practice and making sure that your patients are satisfied and so on, it's hard. So you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Those are the two key messages I'd send. That's great. Justin, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for every all of your contributions yeah. to the field, to our patients, and for spending time with us today. We're in I appreciate both of you. Nice to see you and nice thank to be with you. Justin. All right. Thank you for joining us, audience. We'll see you next time.
For all of us at AJMC.com, thanks for listening. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.